This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Hello and welcome in to the Fog.net podcast. My name is Michael Swain, the Kansas beat writer for 24-7 Sports. And I am joined today, like every Sunday after a KU football game, by Kevin Flaherty. Kevin, how has the start to your Sunday been so far? You know, it's it's been a beautiful Sunday. You know, the birds are out chirping. The sun came up. You know, the coffee was uh, was hot, and, and I think that, uh, that that's usually oh, there you go. That that's usually the the way she goes when you have a strong Saturday like that. It it bleeds over into the Sunday. That it does, and it's a good Saturday in Lawrence, Kansas. Ku defeats Houston forty-eight to thirty to improve to three and zero. Before we dive into this, Kevin, I want to run through some numbers. I think that maybe puts this win and KU's start to the season into perspective. KU is now 3-0 for the first time since 2009. KU has now won back-to-back road games for the first time since 2007. This is only the second time in KU's history that the program has scored 48-plus points in three straight games. And now KU's 159 points through three games ties the most ever by a team in that span, tying, of course, the 2007 Orange Bowl team. So for you, Kevin, looking at the performance on Saturday against Houston, obviously there was the lightning delay. It was <laughs> a very eventful game and one that lasted a, a pretty long time, but there's a lot to talk about. So for you, what's kind of a where do you want to start with this game? Yeah, I mean, I'm sure we'll talk about Jalen in, in a little bit. Mm. You know, that's that's one that's, that's really easy and jumps out. I thought – there, there were a few things that, that really stood out. One, I thought you made a great point, and, you know, you may want to talk about this more. It was what, like the second drive, third drive or so, and Kansas is already really rotating through heavily on defense. Yeah. And, and I think that when you watch the first couple games, and especially the Tennessee Tech game, where, you know, you had third guys third string on the depth chart getting in in the first quarter and – and they were really trying to make sure everybody was getting actual live game reps, not just when a game has already been decided. Um, uh, I thought that that was the kind of game they were they were preparing for, where they could get some of those guys out there in a legitimate competitive game and say, okay, it's it's the third drive. We need to get some of these guys a little bit of a breather. Let's feel comfortable running these guys through. Um, obviously, Andy Kotelnicki was was unbelievable. I mean, he was he was in his bag, as the kids would say. Uh, it, it was it was such an impressive 
game. And I think all of us will remember, you know, the, the touchdown, you know, pass where Jalen Daniels didn't even line up at quarterback, you know, we'll remember the, the end around call to Quentin Skinner on fourth yeah. down, but even beyond the stuff that stood out for kind of the razzle dazzle and, and, you know, things like that. I thought he called another great game where he got the defense leaning left and he went right. And, and you know, even with the simpler stuff and, and, and there's a lot you can say about that. The other thing, just real quick, Michael, that I wanted to mention, I, I felt like I would be remiss if I, I didn't mention it. How about that offensive line? Mm. I mean, I, I don't know that a lot of people realize that, that defensive line was maybe the strength of that Houston team as a group. You know, they they may have a, a better player here or there as an individual, but as a group, that was a really good defensive line. You look at almost all the big plays, it, it seemed like Jared Casey, and I realize he's not an offensive lineman, but he might as well be for the way point. they box and the way they move him around yeah. at the point of attack. seemed like he had a big block on just about every big play. Mike Davitsky made some unbelievable blocks on big plays. Um, you look at the night Earl Bostic had in, in pass protection. It, it, it's crazy to me that Jalen Daniels, I believe he still hasn't been sacked, right? Correct. Like he's still holding a, a goose egg in that category. And and don't get me wrong, there were a couple times yesterday where it looked like they might have gotten him and Jalen was able to escape. But that starts up front. You know, you mm-hmm. don't have a number like that without – protecting really well and i just i think that whole group has been maybe better than i expected to start the year and you look at west virginia's defensive line that was a group that you had singled out you know with that whole front seven that that was really strong going into that one now you're heading into the duke game where they've had two really strong performances against teams where that's one of their strengths and Mm. so I do think that that offensive line was another thing that really jumped out. What what was what was kind of your your primary takeaway on this? Yeah, I think you, you hit on a bunch of good stuff. Let's start with the offensive line then, because sure. I think that for a long time that's been a weakness of KU's, where yeah. you have a one-off really good player. You think about someone like Hakeem Adeniji, you know, being your left tackle or right tackle for multiple seasons. You know, he's now in the NFL and is a part of that Bengals team that made the Super Bowl last year, but the overall unit just has not been very good. And this year so far, that unit has been nothing short of spectacular. I think that after the first game of the season, you watch it running the ball against Tennessee Tech, you're a little concerned. You know, no one in the KU staff really seemed too concerned about it. Lance Leipel wasn't concerned. Andy Kolderneke wasn't concerned. And I think that's been proven right as the season's unfolded. And I think the ability for that group to not only keep – Jalen Daniels clean, but some of the blocks that some of these guys are asked to do, yeah. like there was a, a couple of them from Mike Nowitzki yesterday where you look at it and a, it's incredibly impressive, but B, I just don't know if keys had players that could do that in the past sure. and whether it's the ability of someone like Mike Nowitzki, whether it's the coaching of someone like Scott Fuchs, like I, I don't know where the, the intersection of that is, but I think just the overall meshing of this unit and the ability now for you look last year, right? They allowed the least sacks, in the big 12. And I think that's something you and I talked about a little bit, just kind of off air drove the off season was okay. You got a really mobile quarterback in Jason Bean and you were really down in games a lot. So, you know, how much can you read into that? Yeah. Well, you can read into that a lot now in hindsight, because now they've gone three straight games out allowing a sack. 
Um, the pressure numbers aren't even that bad. And when Jalen Daniels has been pressured, he's been really good. Um, so I think that offensive line deserves a lot of credit because you look at someone like Dante Stills for West Virginia. You look at like someone like Parrish from Houston. Those guys have been neutralized, zero, yeah. done nothing. Like Dante Stills was absent against KU when they were in Morgantown. And I don't even remember Parrish getting close to sacking Jalen Daniels at all. And I think it's a credit to Earl Bostic because I felt yeah. like that was a matchup yesterday where Parrish was over Bostic a lot. But I mean, Bryce Cowardu, that was one that I think we had talked about as being, you know, if yeah. you're going to pick one guy that's kind of the weak link along the offensive line, it'd probably be him. So, and he's had I, a great start to the year. And, and exactly. that, you know, he, he's been really strong. So, yeah. And you look at just overall the group. And I think the offense is really built on a solid platform of you have a quality offensive line, probably the best offensive line KU's had in a decade, maybe. Like, I don't want to get yeah. you know, too hyperbolic here, but it's really good. And then you have your sure. best quarterback since Todd Reesing. And that's a that's a darn good platform to build an offense off of. And I thought that Andy Kolderneki just called a fantastic game. You know, it, the game starts right and it, it's a little sloppy. And I think it's probably the sloppiest KU's offense has looked, right? There's the the muff snap from Jalen Daniels that really wipes out that second drive. And the first drive, there's a miscommunication between Daniels and Quentin Skinner on the outside. Yep. And then Lawrence Arnold drops a pass. Like, I think that's the first drop pass I can remember from a wide receiver this season, too. And yep. then, you know, we can play the drive chart game again like we did last week. But then after that, you just look at it, right? And, you know, you punt, punt, and then a bunch of touchdowns in a row. Yep. You know, you can't ask for anything else. And now yeah, sure. you look at the offense as a whole, right? You go to the numbers. In terms of yards per carry, K was the second best rushing offense in the country behind only the Alabama Crimson Tide. And then you look at the scoring offensive output and they're averaging 52 and a half points per game, which is tied for fourth in the country. Like this offense is legit and it's going against some pretty good defenses so far. So I think for me, just the offense is just super encouraging so far. Yeah, I a hundred percent agree with that. And and like I said, I, I'm sure we'll we'll talk Jalen specifically here and we'll get into bit, it. Let's do it. Right now? Yeah, let's do it. Let's All right, let's talk it. So Mark Mangino said something once that I thought was kind of funny and interesting. Um when Todd Reesing was coming through, he was talking about his scrambling ability and he said, you know, we we had a guy in Bill Whittemore, you know, who was a pretty good runner, and he goes the difference is, he goes, Bill ran because he had to. He was running for his life. And he said, Todd ran because he wanted to, because that was, you know, that was what he saw. And I think one of the main things that we're seeing with Jalen this year, as opposed to his freshman year, which, my gosh, I still, you know, I think I get back pains thinking of some of the hits that he took that year. And, and then what we saw even a little bit last year, although the offensive line was getting better when he got mm -hmm. in, was – he's running because he wants to, you know, it, it's not necessarily because he's being chased all over the place or, or whatever else. And, and so I, I think the pieces around him have been significantly better. The wide receiver room has been kind of exactly what they imagined and or hoped where it was, Hey, we don't have a number one guy right now. We don't have a guy that, you know, it's third and seven and the other defense has to bracket this guy because they know the ball's going to him. And mm. Kansas has had different guys, whether it's Luke Grimm, whether it's Quentin Skinner, whether it's LJ Arnold, you know, I think about the drop, but then he comes right back and makes that really tough catch over the middle where Daniels fit the ball in some about spot, you know, 
about that size of spot. And I think Daniels, the one of the things that stands out is the confidence level. I think that he plays with, he doesn't mm-hmm. get down yeah. on what's going on out there. And, and it would be easy to, when you get down 14 to nothing, I think that's what we've seen from Kansas in the past is, Oh, it's 14. Nothing. Here we go again. Mm-hmm. And it, when you build teams and, and build teams that haven't had success, you want to get guys in who don't, understand that they should be losing and i know that that sounds weird to say but like there are guys already in your program where they've been beat down over several years they've lost games they you know they've lost games but they've also had games where they've shown up felt like they played their hearts out and they lost anyway and and so at some point you know you start to get that feeling of hey you know are, are we cursed? Can we ever win here? And, and Jalen Daniels is one of those guys that I think if Kansas plays Oklahoma or Texas, he doesn't go into that thinking, okay, we're going to lose. He goes into that saying, who the heck are Oklahoma, who the hook's Oklahoma? You know, who's Texas? Like we should win this game. And even when they get down, it's like, oh, okay, let's, let's just make a, what did he say against West Virginia? And he's like, okay, we're down a couple scores, go ball or whatever. Like, Something like that, yeah. Yeah, and I think, you know, as much as we talk about the gifts, and he's a great runner, and he's got, you know, tremendous arm talent, can make a lot of throws, can can make a lot of throws that require a lot of arm strength, I think that that confidence level is something that the entire team is really feeding off right now. Yeah, and I think that as an offense, when you know you have a dude at quarterback, I think it gives everyone else confidence because you know that he's going to go make a play. And I think the whole game changed when Jalen Daniels started to run the ball, right? The first two drives of the game, he doesn't run the ball at all. And then all of a sudden, you know, Katie gets a a pass interference down the field. And sure enough, Jalen Daniels runs on the next play and gains, I think, like 20 yards maybe. And so I I think you look at what he can do. It's just a a great college quarterback, right? When you think about the great college Mm -hmm. quarterbacks, a lot of them are dual threat guys, guys that – have the arm talent to make really good throws, but also have the ability to go and, and make plays on the ground as well. So I think for me, when I look at, at Jalen Daniels, and it's kind of funny that, you know, Les Miles didn't get a lot right when he was at Kansas. And <laughs> he, he called Jalen Daniels similar to Cam Newton when he was there. And I yeah. heard that on my Twitter last night, you know, that story that Scott wrote. And I, I just, it's some of that ability where it's a guy that can make downhill runs. I mean, You've got the ESPN U commentator saying he's Lamar Jackson. Like, yeah. what? Like, some of these comps, I'm like, okay, let's not get ahead of ourselves here, right? This isn't an NFL MVP or anything like that. But I just think that a dynamic ability has opened up the offense. And I think as a result of Jalen's confidence, um, the self-belief and the belief in the system, I think it's just unlocking a whole new level for this offense. And we've seen parts of it, right? 2019, when Brent Dearman took over as the offensive coordinator, there were flashes. Sure. But there were also down games against Kansas State where you turn the ball over a bunch and you kind of get steamrolled. And so, you know, bigger tests will come. You will have to play some high-level defenses like Oklahoma later on. But so far, they've met every single challenge that's been met to them, and they've really passed it in flying colors. And it's just impressive to see the way that KU has gone about neutralizing what the opposing team considers its biggest strength, right? Defensive line the last two games has been the opposing team's biggest strength, and it's just not been a factor. 
Part of the off, part of that's the offensive line, part of that scheme, but part of it's just Jalen Daniels being really freaking good at football. And yep. I don't think it'd be understated what a spring football does because you look at what happens here. You know, this time last year, they're having to install the offense. And right now, what they can do is take the offense week to week and you can tweak it, right? You know, yep. last week you have certain plays and then all of a sudden now you tweak it. And then guess what they're going to do this week? They're going to build off of what they did this week and tweak it again so that Duke doesn't necessarily know what's coming. And so I think just all of it's so nuanced around Jalen Daniels, but he is the centerpiece of this. Without him, I don't think this happens, right? I think Jason Bean can have a great fall camp. He can be a good quarterback, but I just don't think that the offense looks like this with Jason being a quarterback. And I just am really impressed. Obviously, the there's the Heisman stuff out there that Dennis Dodd's putting out there. You got to acknowledge that at this point, right? Mm-hmm. He's playing like a first-team All Big Twelve quarterback. That's yeah. what it is. That is the fact yeah. right now. There is not a quarterback in this conference playing better than Jalen Daniels right now. And I think that, you know, it's crazy to say that in 2022 when the conference tends to be so loaded a quarterback that KU has the guy that is playing the best out of anybody. Yeah, and if you look at you know. I have my issues with this metric, but you look at like ESPN's total QBR, Jalen's not just the best quarterback in the country this year, according to that metric. He's the best quarterback since the metric got started. And, and you know, in fairness, you know, it's it's a mixture of passing and running. And so Jalen is probably going to play better there than some guys who are just say really good pocket passers or, or other guys sure. who are, who are, you know, elite runners, but yeah, I mean, it, it's, I, I think it just speaks to the impact that he's having in both phases. And, you know, it, it feels like when Kansas has needed him to make a big throw, he's made it. And when Kansas has needed him to come up big on the ground, he's come up big on the ground. And I, I think, when you're looking at him moving forward, when all of us did our projected win totals, because all of us did heading into this season, and congratulations to Kansas for jumping the the 2.5 Vegas line yesterday. Sure, yeah. I know a lot of people pounded that because they they felt like 2.5 was 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 way too low. It was. It when, was. When, and it was. And but when all of us were doing our win projections. I think we looked at Jalen's performance last year and said, okay, Texas was struggling at the end of last year. TCU's coach had basically quit on it midseason. And West Virginia wasn't very good last year either. And that game was at home. And, And you said sort of, okay, yes, I'm confident about quarterback. I think all of us thought Jalen was going to be pretty good. I don't know that any of us actually felt like this guy is going to be the best quarterback in the big 12. And when that happens, you elevate your expectations, right? Because if you felt before like Jalen's going to be really good, but maybe he's the sixth best quarterback in the big 12, or maybe he's the fifth best quarterback in the big 12. And that's what being a really good quarterback looks like. If you're looking at that, even you could say, you know, four or five wins, you know, it's there, you know, if you, if things bounce right. And I had said, you know, I picked Kansas to get four if they beat West Virginia. Okay. Picture this. It's Friday afternoon. When a thought hits you, I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. 
With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It's official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. If I had known Jalen was going to be this Jalen, I think you you elevate that, right? And, and not necessarily, sure. not necessarily. hey, KU's going to win 10 games, but you say, all of a sudden, games that maybe you didn't even think that you were going to have a chance in, you know, they, mm-hmm. that you felt like, okay, they'll be competitive in a few games, but I don't know who those are. Now you're kind of looking at those specifically, right? Like you're saying, like, sure. hey, Kansas may have a chance against Iowa State. Hey, Kansas may have a chance against Texas Tech. And you're looking at different teams in the Big 12, TCU, and you're saying, hey, if Jalen Daniels is legitimately – an all big 12 quarterback, which he has been so far, there are a lot of these games and, and maybe more than we thought that Kansas is, is going to be there and is going to have a chance to, to win those games. And so I, I think that not only does that raise, you know, sort of what you think or, or where you feel like that win total was going to be, it raises the games where you say, Hey, maybe this game's a little more of a coin flip than I thought because of the way that Jalen Daniels is playing. Yeah, and I think, you know, this is the thing about preseason projections. You know, over-under win total is easier, right? Because you're saying over-under, you know, there it is. Sure. The win total stuff is hard, right? Because, you know, and as we get into the season, your projections can change because you have more data. And that's – maybe this will lead me into my AP Top 25 take, but <laughs> you should be in the Top 25 because yep. it is one of the best Top 25, you know, teams in the country right now. It is, and I'm going to now pull up the AP Top 25 from last week, and by the time you're listening to this, you can old take expose me because KU won't be ranked in the AP Top 25, but I think they should be because you look at, you know, I'll use Michigan State as an example, right? You know, okay, cool. They beat two MAC teams, and now they go and lose at Washington. You're telling me that number 11, Michigan State, just lost at Washington after only beating two MAC teams? They should be in at a Kansas that has beaten a West Virginia team on the road that will, in the end, be okay, and be the Houston team on the road that will, in the end, be one of the better teams in the AAC. You're going to tell me that they should be ranked at a KU, and the reason they are is because the preseason poll. And that's yep. why the whole preseason poll is the dumbest thing alive, because you're making projections off stuff you don't know. And you're going off of last season for a lot of this stuff. And you cannot take into account last season for Kansas because they did not have a spring and they yep. did not have 
really a true offseason. And this is the first time you're seeing Kansas have a true full offseason, and you're seeing what it is. And we'll get to the bull talk later. I have a question about that, so we'll save that sure. for later. But you're seeing a team that can compete to get to six wins. And that's not what you saw for most of last season because it was such a unique circumstance. And yeah. so I don't think that last season's circumstance should limit where KU is right now. And obviously, the AP poll doesn't matter. It doesn't mean anything. But it's still cool to get your name in it. And it's a big deal in terms of recruiting, in terms of getting the brand out there and raising the yeah. overall perception nationally of where your program is. Because, I mean, you even look at the spread this week, right? Nine and a half points for this game. Are you kidding me? This should have been less than a touchdown. And it's a part, it's because a part of gambling is perception as well. So that's my rant. Perception is silly. You can't, well, really, I, you know, and, and, the one, and we had a, a CBS sports colleague put out his early rankings and, you know, bravo to him for that. I think he had Pittsburgh at number 24, and you did not have Kansas. And you look at Pittsburgh, right? Preseason ranking. I mean, like you were saying, ranked in the preseason their opening game they hosted west virginia and won on a last gasp interception i don't know if that sounds familiar to people yeah but because neil they, brown's a knucklehead <laughs> but they they won at pittsburgh by by seven you know kansas obviously beat west virginia the very following week they then host tennessee and lose to tennessee and then they win at Western Michigan. And I don't know how a team that already has a loss that basically did the same thing against West Virginia that, that Kansas did, except Kansas did it on the road. They did it at home. Mm -hmm. And Kansas has a better win in Houston than, than their next best win. I don't see why Pittsburgh would be ranked ahead of Kansas at this point, except that Pittsburgh was in the preseason poll. And so for Pittsburgh, where they're at is, hey, we were already up here. We dropped down here after the loss. Whereas Kansas, you know, has to come from, in some cases, people had Kansas ranked around 100, you know, to start the year. And, and yeah. it, people that did like, you know, full college football rankings had Kansas around 100. And, and so Kansas has had to, you know, come up all those spots to try and get rank Pittsburgh has to come down and hasn't dropped down enough to fall out of the countdown. And so when you look at the polls that way, I do think one of the interesting things will be, I do think Kansas is going to collect some votes. And, and so, oh, yeah. and, and so you'll start to, uh, you'll see the Kansas is generating a little bit of momentum. And I think with Kansas playing Duke this weekend, and with Duke also being undefeated, I do think there are some people who vote in the polls who are kind of saying, okay, I'm not voting for Kansas now, but if Kansas beats Duke and is 4-0, you know, that may be my tipping point where I say, okay, this, sure. this team should be ranked. Yeah, and I think it's fair too, right? I think that you can have your reservations. That's totally fine. I just, for me, I think it's a little, it's just silly. And that's my take. Um, let's switch to defense. We talked all about the offense. I think defense sure. is fascinating. It, I, I just don't know what to make of this group at all in terms of like, because you watch the game and screen passes kill them all game, except for the one time Rich Miller snuffed it out and just decided I'm done with this. Like, you know, I'm going to tackle this guy in the backfield. 
But then outside of that, like I didn't feel like the defense was that bad. There was obviously the one broken kind of run there on, on I think like a third and one. There was a touchdown, a 40 yard touchdown run. You know, yep. I think overall, th- this defense is at a point where I think you've seen improvement week to week. You know, obviously, yep. you can't really take into effect Tennessee Tech really because it's just a, a, a an inferior opponent times three. Um, <laughs> but we saw against West Virginia last week, and then you get into this week. I think there has been improvement. I, I think that the team looks like it's playing more cohesively. You know, I think we've used Craig Young as a little bit of a barometer for that, right? Because he's been used in so many situations. He's playing in space again yesterday. And yet he's playing more free. Like he had, I think, six or seven solo tackles, which – How about the tackle he made on that – How about that tackle he made on that wide receiver screen where he got out on that thing? Exactly, and that's what he brings. Right. It's that athleticism. It's the ability to really snap and get to the ball. And once he starts to play freely, I think it'll he'll kind of take that next step. And, you know, you mentioned the rotating on defense. I mean, it's a great thing when the guys that are playing the most snaps are your cornerbacks or one of your safeties who's going to play the field. Right. You look at the top snap guys. It's Romello Dotson at 68. It's Jacoby Bryant at 65. It's OJ Burroughs at 60. You want those guys to be playing the most snaps because it's not the most physically challenging position, right? But then you move all the way down, and someone like Lonnie Phelps played 40, 40 of the 73 yep. snaps, right? That's where he should be because he can go out there and go be a maniac rushing the passer and go go sideline to sideline, use that motor, come out, Hayden Hatcher comes in, and all of a sudden, boom, you're ready to go again. And it's the same thing with you know Malcolm Lee, Jeremy Robinson, and Zion DeBose. Those guys can all go in, go ham for three snaps, and come out. And the substitution patterns, I think, have been pretty smooth. The key really hasn't gotten caught subbing, where it's one of these where you know the offense is rushing the line and, and key looks like it's scrambling, or you know the substitutions have been late, or guys don't know what they're doing. I think just overall the cohesiveness of the defense seems like it's kind of coming together here as Big Twelve playing years. Yeah, I was cracking up. I don't know. Did you watch um, and one at all, like back in the day, where they would do like all the little shows and everything? No, no, I don't think so. Like, like the and one basketball, and it was kind of like oh, a, no, really. a Harlem Globetrotters meets the streets type thing. But they had like a PA announcer who would like yell stuff out while they were playing. And one of the things the guy would yell whenever one of their guys was trying to pull off like a dribble move and the guy was being overly physical defending him, he'd go, quit holding, quit holding. And I feel like that was Lonnie Phelps's dad last night. (laughs) And fairly so, you know, because I, I, you know, I'm not a big blame the refs guy, right? And and I thought overall, the officials let him play last night overall on on both sides. Mm -hmm. And, And so... I think the main thing that, that most of us want to see from officials in any sport is consistency, right? Sure. Where you, you know what you're dealing with at the same time, the fact that Lonnie Phelps was able to have that level of impact when he was, you know, ba- basically being, you know, WWE out there, you know, every time he tried to rush the passer was pretty impressive. And it, it's kind of funny because, Kansas had this unbelievable game and Lonnie Phelps in particular rushing the passer against Tennessee tech. Okay. Mm -hmm. It's Tennessee tech West Virginia. I think when you go back and watch that Kansas didn't get a lot of pressure, but I also thought West Virginia got rid of the ball really quickly on a lot of stuff where Kansas maybe didn't have a chance 
to accumulate a pass rush. And then with mm. Houston, you know, there was a lot of grabbing, a lot of that stuff. But I also thought Kansas impacted the passer a lot more in, in that game, even with that said. And and I think if the pass rush is there with Phelps, with Jeremy Robinson, with the other guys, you think about the play where, where Phelps almost gets tuned and then Caleb Sampson kind of cleans him up mm-hmm. or whatever – if they're rushing the passer as a, as a group like that, that takes that defense up another level, I think, because I, I think they're going to be sound against the run. I'm not saying they're going to be great, but I'm saying I think they're going to be in the right gaps at the right time. They're going to play their assignments, and, and, and they'll be there. I think the thing that most of us have questions about is, okay, how's your back end going to hold up? against mm. some of these, you know, more explosive teams that, that really want to throw the ball. Well, your back end doesn't have to hold up if your front is getting home. And if your front mm-hmm. is getting home without you having to send those extra guys. And, and I thought that that was one of maybe the, the undersold parts of last night's game was the fact that they were able to get to Clayton tune. They were able to make him uncomfortable. Uh, they had a few big sacks and, and a few pressures and things like that. And so moving forward, you know, it does feel like maybe the pass rush is a little bit ahead of where we thought it would be at this time, because that was one of our worries. I think we all thought Lonnie Phelps would be really good. I think that, but one of the things that I think we were a little worried about is, okay, but who else? Right. Like he can't rush the passer by himself. You saw that so much last year with Kyron Johnson. If Kyron Johnson didn't mm-hmm. get to the quarterback, the quarterback was just fine. And yeah. And I think that was at least one of my worries was hey, are we going to have a similar situation where it's just Lonnie Phelps, teams can game plan for him, chip him, et cetera, and then there's nothing else there. I thought at least in on in certain moments last night, they were able to get home from other spots on that defensive line, and that's encouraging moving forward. Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm still a little, <laughs> I'm still skeptical because I think the game state really impacts this, right? Houston couldn't sure. go run draw plays, and you know they tried the screen pass stuff with some success, but you can't really continue to do that when you're down by so much. And so I think that that's something that aided KU. I think. If I'm going to highlight someone that, you know, I want to talk about, I think Caleb Sampson, you know, really, really good. You look at yep. kind of that, the, the, the like two plays where he obviously sacks tune, but I think on the next snap, then he bats the pass down. And all of a sudden, you know, Caleb Sampson basically single handedly shut down a Houston drive on back to back plays. And I think that's a huge part. I think the scheme stuff helps. Those guys, because you look at, you know, quote unquote, playing on edges, right? You know, they're able to get upfield more. And I think that's helping them more. But I'm still a little skeptical of the pass rush just because you look against a West Virginia offensive line that I think might be a little bit better than the Houston one, but still had some issues. They still couldn't get anything in that game. And that was a game when it was a lot more even, right? Not like, you know, West Virginia had to drop back and pass every single down. So be sure to see this week, you know, because I I think this week will be a competitive game again. But, you know, we'll have to see there because I'm just a little hesitant to say that the pass rush stuff is is fixed. It's a step in the right direction, I would say. And I think the coaches and players – 
you know, they're all pretty, uh, you know, upfront about, hey, you know, we're really working a practice to fix this stuff. And this is why I appreciate getting to talk to Brian Borland and Andy Kodernecki and several players is because they, they're pretty honest, you know, in assessing A, what's going wrong and A, what's going or B, what's going right. And so, you know, that's what they talked about during the week was, hey, we're really trying to fix the pass rush stuff. It worked. I think the game state helped them, though. Oh, yeah, sure. I just think they're ahead of schedule. I, I, I'm very interested, like you said, when you look at them. And and, and let's even toss Duke aside. Uh, I'm interested to see when they go up against some of the better Big 12 offensive lines. Yeah, yeah and, and teams don't necessarily – I do think, you know, in addition to the game state, though, I do think that West Virginia getting the ball out quickly so often I think really hurt. I'm interested sure. to see when Kansas plays, let's say Texas, which, you know, Texas's young offensive linemen have been pretty good so far. They held up against Alabama. Um, Quinn Ewers should be back by then. Um, oh, and boy. you look at the way that they play with Ewers, you know, there's an abandon there, right? Like they, they try and hit you for a knockout. They throw a lot of haymakers. And yeah, so do. it's not, and so it's not necessarily going to be okay. We're going to hit you for seven. We're going to hit you for eight. We're going to hit you for seven. It's no, we're going to throw three passes to Xavier Worthy on this drive, mm. you know, down the field. Literally. And so yes. that's where I'm interested. Where the pass rush is going to be when a team basically says, "We don't think you can get to our quarterback. Mm. We're going to drop back and we're going to throw the heck out of this thing downfield." Does the pass rush show up then? Yeah, I agree. And I want to tell one more thing. I think the linebackers continue to take steps in the right direction. I can, I, I just, the depth is something we talked about a lot, right? Going into the season was, Hey, you know, the linebacker depth is, I mean, it's going to be a really big strength. I, I just, the fact that the way that they're leaning on that group to me is really impressive. You know, Gavin Potter didn't play a lot the first two games and, all of a sudden he comes out and plays 10 snaps, you know, Eric Gilliard comes out and plays eight, you know, I think, I think for me, like you start seeing Lorenzo McCaskill out there a little bit more and Holy smokes. I mean, that's just, he's just a freaking he's a tank. And yeah. now he plays, he plays 30 snaps, right? So you look at his snap count last week, he plays 17 against West Virginia. He plays 27 this week. And I think as, as the season goes along, you're going to see some of these guys kind of come into their own and, you know, someone like McCaskill won't be around next season, but, you know, Eric Gilliard will have eligibility next year, and so will everyone else in that linebacker room outside of McCaskill. So I think the linebackers continue to really be impressive to me. I think the fact that Jacoby Bryant and Romello Dotson are playing so much uh, is encouraging because those are two young guys. And then yep. Kalen Gervin, I think he deserves a ton of credit. You know, I thought he was going to start. You know, I was clearly wrong on that, but you look at what he's done – I think I have to check the season snap counts, but entering the game, he had played the 12th most snaps of anybody on defense all year. And he's kind of playing this, this nickel spot, but you look at him and it's, he's asked to do a lot in, in that role yeah. covering the slot. And yeah, after this game, he's at 90 snaps, which is the 12th most of anyone on defense. So I think overall for me, the linebackers and, just in general, the way that it's shaking out in the secondary has been positive, even if they get torched for big plays every once in a while. Yeah, and I think, too, you know, the the linebacking group, we we talked about Bryce Cable do earlier. How about how much Taiwan Berryhill has improved? 
I mean, from where he was last year to to where he is this year. I mean, he yeah. and you know, Rich Miller is is excellent, and he's continued to get better, even even you know, though he was pretty good at the end of last year. But I think that's the thing that that a lot of people missed it, and that's why I thought it was really interesting your your question uh, that we keep coming back to uh, with Lance Leipold about you know, guys getting recruited over. Yeah. <laughs> I saw the eyebrows, but, but the reason, the reason I find that so fascinating and, you know, I thought it was a good question. I liked some of the parts of his answer is because just because people bring in other people at your position does not mean that you have to concede that they're going to take your spot. Mm-hmm. And 100%. you know, I think specifically you were asking about Highshaw, right? Like, or guys yeah, it was like Highshaw and Berryhill were the two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And Berryhill is a guy that I think we looked in the offseason. Rich Miller had the year that he did last year. You bring in these transfers and you say, okay, it's going to be Rich Miller, Craig Young, they're going to have to put out there. And it's going to yeah. be some combination of transfers at the other spots. And everybody else slide down, you know, a notch or two. Taiwan Berryhill didn't accept that. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's he's out there starting games and not just starting games, but I feel like he's showing why he's starting games. Exactly. I think he's I think he's playing well. And, you know, you look at, at the way High Shaw is sorry, I I just laugh because I I remembered High Shaw fumbling the ball last Again. night and, and how quickly how quickly he hit, I, I think it's the X button on the PlayStation to get that speed burst real quick to to dive on that thing in the middle of a bunch of Houston guys. But, you know, you look at, at Highshaw, you look at the fact that they brought in Douglas Emelian, who I still, you know, think has a chance to be pretty good. Um, and yet the guys who are returning, you know, are all doing really well and, and playing really well. And, and it's not like they gave up their spots. And I think that the other part of that that we've talked about on this show is kudos to to Lance Leipold because he makes those transfers earn it. Yes. Like when they come in, it's not like they come in, even Craig Young. It's not like Craig, Craig Young shows up at the first practice. I think all of us know, okay, this guy's going to start. Like he doesn't look like the rest of your guys, but he doesn't mm-hmm. start off at number one on the depth chart, does he? He starts off down mm-hmm. here. And they say, okay, if you're here, you're going to show us. You're going to you're going to win that spot. You're going to prove it. Mike Nowitzki is as good as a center as Kansas has had, you know, in, in probably more than a decade. I mean, I, I'm trying to think back. You know, Jeremiah Hatch had his moments, but wasn't as consistently good as Nowitzki. And, and I think even when you go back into you know the the earlier Mangino days you know, where like Joe Vaughn was, you know, Big 12 Newcomer of the Year at center. Nowitzki is really, really good. And they knew what they were getting with him because he came from Buffalo and he didn't start off on the first team. He started off down on the depth chart and they said, Mm -hmm. okay, if you're our best center, that's fine. Go win it. And and I think that I think that kept all the other guys engaged, right? Because it would be hard for a Taiwan Berry Hill or somebody else to to work all off season to feel like you're becoming part of this program. They bring in a bunch of new linebackers, and you show up for the first practice, and you're on the third string, even though you, you know the other guys haven't played yet. And so, yep. 
Uh, kudos to Lance Leipold for the way he's handled that as well. Yep, and I'll use this little segment here to segue into a question, but it goes back to the way they recruited these transfers too. Sure. They're not going into the in these meetings, the Zoom meetings, the calls, the, the in-person visits, whatever. They don't go in there saying, hey, you're going to come and, you know, let's use Marvin Grant for an example. Hey, Marvin, you know, we know you've got a lot of connections with guys on the team. You know, we think, you know, you'll come in and start and you'll play a lot. That's not how this works. It's, hey, come visit, come see what you think. And if you believe in yourself and you believe that you can start here, come, earn it, show us, prove it. And that's what they've done with all the transfers. And you look at some of them, they've already shown that they're better than what Kansas has. I think others like Marvin Grant have just taken some more time to get used to it. Does that mean Marvin Grant's a bad player? Gosh, no. He's gonna. I think next year is the year when someone like Marvin Grant playing that defensive back role where right now he's got someone like Kenny Logan ahead of him, and then you really don't want to play two boundary guys, you know, especially in the Big 12. So O.J. Burroughs is going to play a lot, and I think next year is the year for Marvin Grant. And I think it's the case for some of these guys in general, Douglas Amelian too. And yeah. I'll use this as a segue to talk about recruiting, but, you know, KU now is 3-0, and they won, and K-State didn't on Saturday. And I think that's pretty notable that KU goes on the road and starts 3-0 with back-to-back road wins, and Kansas State loses to, you know, Tulane. So how, how does this impact local recruiting, do you think? Because I think for me, you know, actually I'll let you go first and I'll get my take after because I'm curious what you think. I, I did think it was kind of funny uh, after last night's game, um, there were uh... – there, there were a couple KU staff members uh, liking status, liking tweets from uh, Avery Johnson and Dylan Edwards and, and guys like that. And so, no, it, it just, it kind of cracked me up like, hey, you know, we, uh, it, it, it's, it feels kind of like the you up text message that, that you send <laughs> out at, at like 1 a.m. or whatever, you know, just sort of a, a shot in the dark type of thing. But, um, but no, it's, it, I think it does have an impact to start it and everything else. And, and Michael, I know you were, you were there for this conversation. I'm not going to name the person's name, but there was a top recruit in the 2023 class. And when we were talking to his father, one of the things that he had said basically was if we're staying in state, we know who the better in-state school is. We know who the big dog is. We know where we should send him basically to, to play as college football. And I think I look at something like that, and I think that's where this stuff changes. It, it's not like all of a sudden, you know, you're going to open your door and everybody's going to walk in. No. But I do think that for a lot of guys this year – the door was already shut. And and I think that that's one of the things that a lot of people have trouble understanding about this 2023 class, because they look at it and they say, well, gosh, it's the best Kansas class, you know, in a generation, maybe longer. And Kansas doesn't have a commit from an in-state guy. And I understand that frustration. Certainly I do. But I think that when you look at when Leipold took over, um, the time that it took for them to to start making sort of some of those local inroads with yeah. guys. And, and I'm not saying they're perfect on that end, but I am saying that even as of last fall, when, you know, these 2023 guys were still juniors, a lot of them had already been in contact with, with K-State for a while. 
and they'd seen K-State winning for a while, and they hadn't seen Kansas winning for a Mm -hmm. while. And so even with some of these guys who might have visited Kansas or, you know, engaged in conversations with the coaches and and things like that, I think it was always kind of, well – I'm being nice by doing this as opposed to the door being legitimately open for the university of Kansas to recruit me. And I think that this is a really long answer, but I do think that that's where things start to change. It's again, it's not okay. Kansas is winning now 2024, you know, it's on Kansas is going to get, you know, seven top 10 players. Mm -hmm. What it is saying is that before if you if you look at recruiting as a ladder and the top of the ladder is the commitment, like Kansas State was starting up here with this with the 2023 guys, Kansas mm-hmm. might not have even been on the ladder, you know, for some of these guys. And and, yep. and I think that that's some of the stuff that's going to change it. And when you look at 2024, it is a little bit of a down class, I think. And it looks really down compared to 2023, but I think it's it's a little bit down. 2025, we're already starting to find guys, Michael. 2026, we've already got like eight or nine guys that make me feel old. At. Oh my god! And that doesn't and that doesn't happen in Kansas. And so when they start to when you start to see guys that early, that's when you when you sort of start to say, okay, this this could be a really good class because in some cases yeah. those aren't even the top guys yet. They're just the guys that we've seen or and or noticed so far. And so I guess to wrap up that super long answer really quickly, I, I think it, it certainly helps. And I think when you look at, at 2024 and somebody that you've talked to specifically who is open to Kansas and BJ Kennedy, mm-hmm. you know, when you look at guys, you know, even beyond Kennedy, I think there were guys who maybe said, okay, if KU and K-State recruit me, I'm going to K-State because it's the only real option I think the Mm -hmm. difference now is people are going to look at Kansas and say, that's an actual legitimate option for me to go and play college football. Exactly. And so there's a lot of really good stuff there that I want to hit on. Um, I I think a lot of recruiting is perception. Sure. A lot of it is. You're dealing with kids, right? Yeah. Guys that grew up in the state of Kansas watching football. And so I think for so long, Kansas, the perception of of the program has not been good. And rightfully so. It's just been bad. And so what Kansas is fighting against right now is a decade of being a doormat. And I think that some of the coaches have talked about it publicly. Um, I think people on the program have talked about it privately, too, that when a kid commits to Kansas and they walk into school wearing the Kansas hoodie, it's, oh, man, you're going to Kansas? Really? And that's what they have to fight against. When these guys walk into high school – and their friends are poking fun at KU. And so a season like this does a lot to change the public perception of a program like this because you're looking at a program that has been, you know, again, like the laughingstock of college football for so long. And all of a sudden now, who's who, you can't tell a joke because they're kicking butt, literally. And so yeah. I think that a win like this and a weekend like this does a lot for the perception of the program within the state even within the Kansas City area. I think that I continue to go back to Iowa State because I think it's a very, very good comparison. Obviously, two sure. really, you know, kind of programs that have had success in years past, but kind of fell into mediocrity over the last decade. 
Iowa State's best season in program history was 2020. Iowa State's 2021 recruiting class, the class that kind of commits during that time, right? Um, traditionally, Iowa State did not recruit in-state talent. Iowa was the program that got the in-state kids, right? They're the program that was known. And Iowa State had to fight against that. And then all of a sudden, you get a class where you get a kid like Hunter Deo, a four-star. Then, uh, you know, you get basically out of the top six guys, you know, Iowa State got three. And Iowa got two and Notre Dame got one. It, it takes a season like this where if you project it out long term where you say, okay, is Kansas Bowl eligible? We'll get to that question in a second. But, you know, if Kansas wins five games and K-State falls flat just in terms of the perception of the program going into the season, right? Because going into the year, K-State was known as a program that is the dark horse that's not a dark horse at all. It's like Iowa State last year, right? The program that everyone acts as, oh, that's my dark horse pick when everyone's picking them. So I think weekends like this are huge. I don't know how much of an impact it will have on 2023. I think a lot of these guys are wedded to their school in terms of the commitment. I think Calvin Clements is kind of the one guy, really, that you can look at in terms of the in-state class because, you know, obviously Baylor is super talented and they're going to continue to recruit high-level offensive linemen. And him being a Lawrence guy, I know it was a really close decision and KU did really everything they could. I mean, heck, the kid talked to Bill Self. Like they don't do that very often with guys. And so keep yeah. pull that all the stops. And I think that was a battle. And I wonder if a season like this can maybe change that perception. And if things happen at Baylor, maybe that happens. I, I don't expect it to happen though. And so you look at the 2024 class and you named him BJ Kennedy, you know, a guy that grew up as a KU fan. Now that doesn't mean much, right? Samuel Samay grew up as a KU fan. He's going to Iowa state now. And it doesn't mean much in the end, but it opens the door. Like you said. And I think that, Again, weekends like this really help make it easier for a kid like that to commit to Kansas because, again, when they walk into high school, it's not jokes. It's That's cool. That program's on the rise, right? And, and so I think that's a really big deal. Do you have any more thoughts on that? No, I, I think we could probably do a whole podcast on yeah, – And we were at some point. Yeah, and and hit a lot of these. But, no, I, I thought you, you hit a lot of it, and I think – when you look at Kennedy specifically and recruitments like that, like we saw Amani Bledsoe a few years ago, you know, loved KU, loved their pitch, you know, come be a local, you know, hometown hero, was a Lawrence kid, wound up going to Oklahoma. And it was very tough for him to say no to Kansas. Hmm. But where Kansas was, I think it was still a tough choice, but I think if Kansas had been in a spot where it is now, you know, it would have made it maybe the option for him. Maybe, maybe mm-hmm. Kansas gets that kid. And that's the thing you had, you worry about with Kennedy who, you know, has been ranked as a four star kid, according to 24 seven sports is when you, when you look at Kennedy, like he loves KU now, but you stretch and he, he loved KU growing up, but you stretch that recruiting process out other schools start to come in, quote unquote, big football schools start to offer. What makes him choose Kansas? And, and I think that hope is what makes yeah, him choose exactly. Kansas. The fact that belief makes him choose Kansas. And, and the fact that he believes that, hey, if I choose Kansas, I'm not going to be languishing for, for four years now. We're, we're going to win. I'm going to have a great you know college experience potentially go to the NFL, you know, if my development and everything works out right. And I think that that's where this helps. 
Mm -hmm. the fact that Kennedy, he, he likes Kansas. Like you said, he grew up a Kansas fan. But I think that as that recruiting process goes on, a lot of times guys like that, they'd look at it and they'd be like, you know, I like Kansas. I really want to go there. I like the coaches, but I just can't go somewhere where I'm going to be three and nine the rest of my life. And, you know, and I think that that's where this helps. Yep, exactly. I agree. Um, All right, let's move on to the next one. Uh, We can do this really quick. We've talked about this before. Um, Any KU offensive lineman have a shot at the NFL. Um, You know, I think Robostic has been really good so far. I think Mike Vitsky is another guy that has that. And then Armaja Reed Adams is the prototype that you look for. And the nice part for him is, right, he's got multiple years of eligibility left. I think he has three. I need to check my chart, but I think he has three after this year. So sure. even if he doesn't win the job this year, right, there's a chance that maybe he wins it next year. And, you know, and so I think those are kind of the three I'm eye on. What about you? Yeah. And I think, you know, it, it's interesting. It, it'll depend on his testing, but I think that Mike Nowitzki is putting a lot of really positive things on tape mm-hmm. at this point for center. And so uh, I think he's going to have the tape. Um, there are obviously bigger centers in the NFL and you look at, you know, you look right across, you know, the chiefs have one of the best centers in the NFL and Creed Humphrey, who is, you know, humongous compared to, to Mike Nowitzki. So you see the difference there, but I do think Nowitzki is somebody that, that could stick around, you know, if he does wind up having the testing numbers and, and different things like that, you know, he's, he's just really sound in what he does He's a good leader on the line. He's a good locker room guy. I, I mm-hmm. think there, I think there's a possibility that maybe he slides into that conversation as well. Yep, I think that's good. Um, all right, um, let's do this one. How does an opposing defense successfully slow KU's offense? We talked about this a little bit off air, Kevin, but sure. I'll, I'll let you go first, and then I'll, I'll go after that. But you know, how if you're a defense like. How do you slow this? Because it's been pretty multiple so far and pretty tough to track. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Yeah, the, the easy answer for anything is win up front, right? Like if you're if you're getting after the quarterback, if you're, you know, causing issues in the run game with your front, then, you know, you can run a lot of different things, but it, it's really tough to succeed. And I think the thing that interests me or the type of team that interests me moving forward is a team like in Oklahoma. And I'm not saying, you know, that all of us are right here expecting Kansas to beat Oklahoma, but I am saying, you know, that's a really good front. And you look at 
the way the defense has come along under Venables, you know, they're playing really sound right now. And I think that combination of, you know, teams that don't go, you know, coaches have an expression they use all the time, chasing ghosts. You don't want to be chasing ghosts out there. And I think a team with good eye discipline that doesn't chase ghosts that also wins up front, it, they're going to give most teams trouble, but I think that they have a chance to to slow down or, or give Kansas trouble. The one thing that does make Kansas a little bit, I guess, recession-proof, maybe you would say, is Jalen Daniels because he exactly. can make off-schedule plays. And, mm-hmm. and that's the sort of thing that it's really tough, even as you know an elite defensive mind, to account for. Because you can dial up the right blitz, you can have your front four guys win and if he buys extra time for the receivers to get open if he you know finds gaps with his legs if he can make throws and plays off schedule like Jalen Daniels can he does create more trouble in those situations than just you know a guy who sits back there and and, you know needs to have a clean pocket or good timing or whatever to to succeed what do you think yeah yeah I think it's very similar um I think KU has been able to take advantage of undisciplined teams you know, I, I was kind of – I was on this a lot this week with Houston being really undisciplined and that they're going to shoot themselves in the foot, and they, yep. and they did. I mean, they got to fight on the sideline. Like, <laughs> come on. So, KU and Andy Kordonek did a really good job of taking advantage of, of a team in Houston that is not disciplined and is not going to stay in its gaps. You're going to have some freelancers. You can't do that against this offense. And I think West Virginia, too – you know, that front seven's really good, but again, it's not a disciplined group. At least that's my opinion of it. And so, I mean, plus then the defensive coordinator from West Virginia went out and said that they basically didn't know what to expect from Kansas and what they saw was not what they expected, which is a little bit of an indictment. I feel like, you know, on the coach admitting that, but I think for KU, what they do with the option stuff is going to force teams to be very disciplined. And so when you go play a TCU or an Oklahoma or an Oklahoma State, those are teams that are going to be disciplined. They're going to stay yep. in their gaps and wait and wait and wait and make the right decision. And so I think that that's going to be the big test is when KU goes up against a team like that that isn't going to hurt itself, that doesn't have freelancers on the defensive line or in the linebacking core, I'm really interested to see what happens then. Because, you know, like you said, obviously winning up front helps a lot of that. But I think just being a disciplined group, that follows instructions and the coaching that they're given is what's going to take to slow KU down. And when that point comes, that's what I'm really interested in now because we've seen that KU will tweak its offense week to week. You know, you saw some more trick stuff this week. I I think that some of the more quarterback-oriented run stuff was there, but I'm interested to see what will happen in-game when KU goes up against a more disciplined group. If they go to the pass game more, is it more handoffs to the running back? How do they do it? We'll have to see, but I think it's going to come down to an opposing team winning up front and being disciplined for them to slow KU. So this will kind of lead into the next one then. Will the team get even better as the competition gets better? I think so. I think this group will continue to get better as the season goes along, and I think it's really good that KU got these wins early because now there's confidence. So when you do go on the road to play Oklahoma in October – you know, walking into the to the that massive stadium, that hey, we can compete with these guys. I think that's huge. Yeah, I agree. I, I think that when you look at last season in particular, there were a lot of things working against them. We we've said it probably two hundred times, but 
they were still installing base parts of their system, basically. And they were learning their personnel. You know, they had only had one fall camp really to, to see those guys on the field. And so there was so much adjustment. And yet you look at how far all of those guys came over the course of last year. You look at how far they came over the course of, you know, this offseason. And then you even look week to week. You know, guys are, are playing better in week three than they were, you know, in week two or week one, mm-hmm. because I feel like we talked about it in week one against Tennessee tech. There were some times where they didn't get their angles right or certain things like that. And it didn't matter because it was Tennessee tech, but if they had made that same mistake against Houston, they would have gotten torched for it or given up a sack mm-hmm. or a big tackle for loss or, or whatever. And so they are continuing to improve. I, I think, you know, you look at, you look at Fuchs's group in, in particular, you know, he does such an amazing job of getting those guys that, you know, I, I don't know if it's a chemistry thing that they continue to improve on, if it's a technique thing, but it feels like they just continue to get better and better and better. And I think with defense, I think the defense is going to get better as the trust level continues to get better because I think that Kansas plays very much a a kind of defense like you were talking about earlier under, under Borland where it's do your job. Mm -hmm. Don't try to do your job and this do your job and trust that the guy next to you is going to do his. And I think even with the defense struggling some so far, I think they've seen some of that, you know, I think they've seen, okay, you know, I blew up my gap. So they didn't run in my gap. They ran to the other gap and that guy was there too. And Mm -hmm. and I think that, I think that as the year continues to go along, as the timing improves, all those different things, I do think they're going to continue to improve as this year goes on. Yeah. And I think that it's one of those things where these guys are not a coach and it's it's as simple as that week in and week out. If you're able to harp on the things that you did incorrectly, and work on it with drills and fundamentals and technique and stuff like that, the boring stuff throughout the course of a week, then yeah, you are going to improve. And that's something Andy Koldenucky talked a lot about this past week was, Hey, we had a couple of times when we didn't do our fundamentals, right? What that tells me is we need to do that more. And you hear that and you're like, ah, this is why they're such a good group in terms of coaching. It's not, Oh, we did all this, right. We should focus on that. It's, Hey, we didn't block right on this play. We need to work on this blocking drill all week. And so I think it's things like that that really help the team get better and it makes you confident that over the course of a season, the team you see right now will not be as good as the team you see when they go and play K-State on the road, you know, there in November. So, and on that note, we get to the big question. Uh-oh. It's KU Bowl team. All right. So I'm guessing you're leaving this one for me to start off. No, yeah, I'll let you start because I'll wrap it up after that. All right. Sounds good. Um I will – so I hate adding a caveat. If Jalen Daniels plays this way, then Kansas is absolutely a bowl-level team. Um, I, I think that um, if Jalen, you know, I don't want to say slumps, but if he comes back to earth, you know, a, a little bit more than maybe people are hoping, it's still a successful season and you still wind up winning, say – five games. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that Kansas is, has put itself in that spot. 
and, and you know, and has put itself in a spot to win multiple conference games. Um, but yeah, I, I do think that with the way that Jalen Daniels is currently playing, there's there's no reason to expect that that Kansas couldn't beat Duke. And if Kansas is four and zero coming out of September, I don't think they're done. And, and, and I think that you even look at a situation with with what Iowa State and TCU. I think right after that, tell me which one of those Kansas can't win if Jalen Daniels is. is is playing like a first team all big 12 quarterback. And, and and I'm not saying they will win both of those. I'm saying I'm not sure that they they couldn't win either one or or both. And, and so I do think that that Kansas is a a bowl level team with Daniels playing like this. I think, you know, when I initially picked said if Kansas beats West Virginia, which I thought was was going to kind of be a coin flip game, and and it worked out exactly like that in overtime. If Kansas beat West Virginia, I, I had him at, at four and eight. I didn't have Jalen Daniels playing this well with that projection. And so I do think with Jalen playing this well, with the offense playing this well, I, I do think that, that Kansas is is a team that can add a couple wins to that, if not even, you know, another one after that. Yeah, I think for me, what they've shown so far is a bowl caliber team. I think that's what you're looking at right now. And I've obviously been kind of bullish on the other side that, hey, you know, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. But I think just what they've shown in terms of the offense, in terms of the defense being able to get enough stops during portions of the game. And I think the defense will figure it out as the season goes along. But K was now competed and for lack of a better term, dominated during stretches because that's what they did against West Virginia, right? During kind of the heart of that game is when they really dominated. And then I think you'd argue that outside the first two drives, KU dominated against Houston. You've just dominated two teams that will go to bowl games. What does that make you? A team that's going to have to go play in a bowl game. Now will will all the, you know, the coin flip moments go KU's way? I'm probably definitely not. Like that's the fact, you know, they're coin flip moments. Some will not go KU's way. So far, I think they've gotten some of those moments in their direction. I think they've also created their own luck. That's something the coaches talk about a lot sometimes is, hey, you got to create your own luck, and that's what Kansas has done so far. And so you look at the schedule. Iowa State and TCU are winnable games now just based on what we've seen. And that's the thing about football. You only get one data point per week. This isn't basketball. Right, you get one data point per week, and the three data points we've seen so far indicate KU is a bowl caliber team. Again, does that mean they will make it? We'll have to see. But this is a team that can do it. And you look at the schedule, I can come up with six wins right now. You can yep. point at Duke, Iowa State, TCU, Texas Tech, and then K State, Oklahoma State. Boom. You know, I'm not saying you're going to win all those games, but those are games that you will enter the game thinking, hey, Kansas can win this game. Could Kansas beat Baylor, Texas, Oklahoma on the right day? Yeah, but that's not one of those where I think you go in expecting it. And is KU going to go 9-3? and three? I mean, probably not. <laughs> but if Jalen Daniels continues to play like this, then I don't know. I'm not going to discount anything at this point, right? The numbers show you Jalen Daniels is a dude. And if he continues to play like this, it's going to pull KU up by the bootstraps, regardless of what the defense does. And we haven't really even seen that much special team stuff yet because the offense has been so good. So I think just overall, 
I've kind of flipped where maybe I'm going to be way too optimistic and then, you know, whatever, it, it won't go KU's way. But I think at this point, what they've shown so far is, is a team that is good enough to make a bowl. Again, does that mean they will? I don't know. We'll see. It's football. But I think that's an encouraging sign for KU going into the next uh, nine weeks if you include the bye week. Sure, sure. And and it's funny because obviously that West Virginia game was so close mm-hmm. and could have gone either way. And and if we're sitting here and Kansas is two and one, you know, with the loss to West Virginia, I feel like maybe we're not having this conversation. Probably not. You know, because we're saying, well, we probably expected them to be maybe around two and one with the wins coming against West Virginia and Tennessee Tech, lose to Houston, For you sure. know, would have been would have been a little different. But that's the thing about football with the one data point a week, like you're saying, they don't give wins back. Mm-mm. The fact that that was nope. a close win, the fact that it came down to the very end, you know, it, it doesn't matter that it was, you know, separated in, in overtime. They all count the same. And Kansas is sitting here 3-0, uh, potentially with the chance to go 4-0 if it can win at home against Duke in a game that, if we're being honest, Kansas is probably going to be favored in. And, you know, if as as crazy as that is to say with the way things have gone the last decade, it, you know, and if Kansas is sitting here at 4-0 coming out of September, the one other thing I would say is, you know, you talked about perception and how it means everything in recruiting – I think confidence and momentum mean everything in college football. Oh, and when you're talking about 18 to 22 year old kids, you know, you lose a couple close games. It's not that you can't turn things around, but you really have to fear a team that's playing with confidence and momentum because they, they don't think that there's any task that's too big for them. And, And I think that, if you have Kansas coming out of September at four and zero, going into Big Twelve play, sort of, you know, as a whole, I know they already played West Virginia, but you know, really starting the grind of conference play, I think you're talking about a team that has a lot of confidence, a lot of momentum, and I don't see that team. And maybe I'm going to cold takes expose myself here, but. I don't see a team going four and zero, and then just sort of, you know, falling mm-hmm. in, falling by the wayside. I, I think that if they go four and zero, I think they get a couple more and wind up going to a bowl game. So crazy. Yeah, I mean, three weeks, ago. Three weeks, weeks ago. ago, this same conversation. Yeah. We're like, calm down, right? That's the cool part of college football. That's the cool part about it. You're dealing That's with, amazing. you know, and. This is why it's so fun. You get to, it's 18, like you said, I feel like Matt Campbell, that's his favorite buzzword is 18 to 22 year olds. But, <laughs> you know, it, it's one of those deals where 18 year olds and 22 year olds, that age group is irrationally confident. And if you give yep. them a reason to be confident, there's nothing they feel they can't do. And that's yep. all you need in college football because so much of it, in terms of the road atmospheres, if you go in even hesitant, like, oh, this is going to be a big game or this is a big atmosphere, are we ready for it? You've already lost. And I think that's the cool part about this team is they've got that confidence. They It's not like they've thought about the last decade of what Kansas football has looked like. What only matters is right here. I think that's pretty cool. So any other thoughts you have? We've been going for more than an hour, but you got anything else before we get out of here? <laughs> no, no. I, I think that we uh, we kind of kind of hit it all. And I, and I loved ending on that last question because, like I said, you know, before the season and 
even if, you know, if things had gone south against West Virginia, they hadn't pulled that out, we would have said, all right, man, like, what are you even asking this question for? But we are in a day and age where Kansas is is 3-0 and where Jalen Daniels is is popping up on Dennis Dodd's Heisman buzz and and all of these different things. It's uh, it's a lot of fun to to see. And, you know, for you and I who have interacted with these kids, with their parents, with the coaches, with a, with a lot of these people that are involved, it, it's cool to see for them too because uh, a lot of them are, are really good people and, you know, mm-hmm. have – have maybe gone through some not so great stuff to to get here. So to see them come out on the other end like this is kind of cool. Yep. I totally agree. It's cool. Yeah. It's just, it's a cool deal in general after a long time of it not being that, that, Hey, it's right. Usually about this time, it's like, all right, so when's late night in the fog. And right now (laughs) it's like, who gives a crap? Yep. They play Oklahoma the next day. So I'll be looking forward to that, but already Kevin, that'll do it for us. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Fog.net podcast. If you're listening on any sort of one of the podcast platforms, please leave a rating and review. And also head over to YouTube and check out the Fog Kansas basketball and football coverage. That's our YouTube channel. If you're watching on YouTube, head over to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, whatever. Um, And as always, stay tuned to Fog.net for all sorts of KU basketball, KU football, plenty of recruiting coverage to come as well. Kevin, we'll talk to you next Sunday. All right. Thanks a lot, Michael. From the world of Sonic the Hedgehog, a new hero arrives. I am ready. Is there anyone stronger? No. Tougher? No. Funnier? I do not make jokes. I make warriors. Knuckles. Now streaming only on Paramount+. Plus. Yes!